0: I'm Dennis Tubergen, and you are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is commentator Mr. David McIlvaney. David is the president of McIlvaney Financial. I know you're going to enjoy my conversation with him. And if you're a new listener and haven't yet requested a copy of my recent book, Retirement Roadmap, Uh, The book was recently an Amazon number one bestseller. Thank you to all of you that supported the book. I'm very appreciative. But if you've not yet gotten the book, I'd like to send you a copy because I believe it contains some very important information. It talks about the revenue sourcing process that has been designed, especially for today's economy, to help aspiring retirees achieve, help them achieve a secure possibly tax-free retirement in today's economy. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, all you have to do is go to to RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. That's RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and let us know where to send the book, and we'll be very glad to get you a copy. Now, inflation seems to be one of the lead stories, at least economically speaking. There's no shortage of news today. But really, Almost unnoticed and certainly underreported is the fact that worldwide debt levels are now at record levels. Reuters reported that global debt levels are now at $300 trillion. $300 trillion in debt worldwide. Now, it doesn't take an economist to realize that when there is too much debt to be paid, some of it won't be paid. That means the lenders lose money as it disappears from the financial system. Now, it's important to understand this because in today's economy, money is debt. That's a difficult concept to get your arms around, but money is debt. In 1971, as we've talked about here on the program many times, the direct convertibility of dollars for gold stopped. Up until August of 1971, if you held dollars, you could exchange them for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. At that point, it stopped, and at that point, money began to be loaned into existence. So in the past, in more normal times, to use that term, If the Federal Reserve wanted to increase the money supply and jumpstart the economy, they would reduce interest rates and encourage borrowing because as money was borrowed, more money was created. I'll give you a very quick example to make the point. Let's say you go put $100,000 into your bank. That banker had to reserve 10% of that deposit or $10,000 but could loan out The other $90,000, the borrower of that $90,000, say, to buy maybe a rental property, would take that $90,000, would buy the rental property, and the seller of the rental property would deposit that $90,000 into her bank. That banker would reserve $9,000 and loan out the other $81,000. That process would continue. Now, the lower... Interest rates were the faster money moved. Economists would call that the velocity of money, and more money was created. Now, that worked extremely well until the financial crisis. And as some of you may recall, after the financial crisis, the chair of the Federal Reserve at that time, Ben Bernanke, dropped interest rates to zero and nobody borrowed money. So that's when the process of quantitative easing or creating currency, literally out of thin air, started. So money is debt. As more people borrowed money, more money is created, and money is debt. Now, when there's too much debt to be paid, some of it won't be paid, and then when it's not paid, money disappears from the financial system. A really great example of this concept as this 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 actuality I will I will say as to how money works really kind of hit home this past week when evergrande the chinese company declared that it couldn't pay all its debts now if you missed the story evergrande is actually a real estate firm but in recent years the company has invested in tourism digital operations insurance and health But the story is that this company has debt of $300 billion. $300 billion is what it owes to creditors. Evergrande employs 200,000 people, and according to the company's website, says it indirectly helps sustain more than 3.8 million jobs each year. Evergrande has borrowed heavily, in this age of easy money, which has, in my view, created a bubble of asset inflation and speculation. Now Evergrande can't pay off their creditors. Estimates by some analysts have Evergrande bondholders getting back 25 cents on the dollar as it restructures its finances. That means if you loaned Evergrande money if you bought one of Evergrand's bonds, based on what we know now, based on the company's ability to pay, you're going to get back 25% of your investment. 70,000 retail investors invested with Evergrand as Evergrand was promising or promising rather 10% annual returns. Now Evergrand is $300 billion of $300 trillion in global debt, according to Reuters. Now, what's going to happen with this $300 trillion in debt when much of it can't get paid? It's going to mean that money disappears from the financial system. That's exactly what I expect will happen. Now, we may have to get through some inflationary periods first. But at a certain point, the bottom line is this. If there is too much debt to be paid, it will not all be paid. And money will disappear from the financial system. Let's go back and look at the 70,000 investors that own Evergrande bonds. If they get back 25 cents on the dollar, to use that term, their net worth depending on how much money they invested takes a hit it goes down they lose money when money disappears from the financial system it goes to money heaven it doesn't come back it no longer exists and the money supply contracts when money supply the money supply contracts and we get deflation stocks and real estate any Asset prices that have gone up as the bubble built, as all these asset prices were really driven up because of easy debt, now when that debt can't get paid, those asset prices fall. And that's the direction that I believe we will head. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers, as I have quoted so often here on the program, told us, that if we ever allow private bankers to control the issue of our currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around us will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the very continent their fathers conquered. That's the direction that we're headed. If you have not yet put together a retirement plan for today's economy, if you haven't at least investigated this for yourself, I would encourage you to get educated. No one cares as much about your money as you do, and the reason that the Retirement Roadmap book was released was to help give you another perspective. So again, if you're just joining me, I would invite you to get your free copy of the Retirement Roadmap book. All you need to do to get a copy of the book is go to the website roadmaptoretirementbook.com, website, once again, is RoadmapToRetirementBook.com, and I'll be glad to send you a complimentary copy of the book. just have to let us know your name and where you'd like us to mail the book. We'd be glad to send it to you at no cost and with no further obligation. So, again, the website, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. That's RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest today, Mr. David McIlvaney.
1: Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure today of chatting once again with returning guest, Mr. David McIlvaney. David is the president of McIlvaney Financial, and uh, he is, uh, you can get his weekly commentary at weeklycommentary.com or McIlvaneyWeeklyCommentary.com. Um, I love his perspective and looking forward to the conversation. And uh, David, welcome back to the program.
2: Dennis, great to be back with you.
1: Well, David, let's start. Uh, you know, we had talked uh, when you were on the program about a year ago that uh, Fed policy would, you know, perhaps lead to inflation. Uh, seems that the inflation genie is now out of the bottle, to use that term. Um, what, Where do you see things going from here as far as inflation goes, and, and, and what would you say the real inflation rate is?
2: You know, you have a couple of factors impacting inflation. Certainly, Fed policy is one of them. And then, of course, the fiscal spending that we saw as a result of COVID, that acts as sort of a force multiplier for the amount of liquidity that's in the system. Now you're talking about money that's not strictly in the financial universe, but also in the broader economy. So fiscal policy becomes another major addition to to that. And then there's the unintended consequences of the shutdown for our economy where you know folks got to stay home um, and were paid to do so. And did do some spending while at home and added to their savings, uh, but are not real keen to get back to work. So now now we've got actually some product supply chain bottlenecks, not only from our our, our foreign trade partners, but we're having a hard time getting even vegetables from and, 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 and meat and processed foods from our plants to the grocery store. And you're beginning to see sort of these, these manufacturing bottlenecks as well, which are going to drive up prices. Labor costs are up, um, the logistics costs are up, transportation costs are up. All of these things get factored in at some point. The two big factors, of course, are Fed policy and and U.S. fiscal policy. Um, but now, again, post-COVID, it is really interesting to see how the breakdown in some of the supply chains have added to that and and you've got folks like 3M who are you know telling us that yes it's a very big deal and and they've tried to reprice all of their goods to reflect an increase in costs that they're experiencing at the producer level and they're still not keeping up it's shocking how fast the inflation rate has come up. In 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 the CFO's opinion, there at 3M, FedEx, just this last week was saying the same thing. You know, our results for the first quarter reflect higher operating costs. We're incurring them during uncertain and challenging operating environments. This is the deal. If you have it at the producer level, if you have it at the at the manufacturing level, if you have it at, at the company specific level, ultimately the individuals like you and me are going to be paying even higher prices. So. Uh, transient is not the word to use. Uh, Permanent probably isn't either. But for an extended period of time, we're going to be dealing with some version of inflation or, shall we say, even stagflation.
1: So, David, in your opinion, uh, to what extent is the current you know, price inflation that consumers are experiencing. uh, How much is attributable to Fed policy? How much is attributable to, uh, you know, fiscal policy? And maybe that's not a fair question, but what's your take?
2: Well, you know, we got to see Fed policy on display from 2008 to Yeah, well, through the current time frame and in very little inflation was drummed up. In fact, they had the 2% inflation target and they never could hit it, never could hit it, never could hit it. And basically the problem was they were creating a tremendous amount of liquidity, but it was being distributed to financial players. And the financial players weren't putting it into the broader economy. They weren't putting it into my pocket or your pocket. Think about it this way. If I have a credit default obligation in my right pocket, how does it get spent exactly? Well, it it doesn't real easily, but if I've got a thousand bucks in my left pocket, my literal left pocket, I know how to spend it. And that's the, that's the difference between the Fed policy of the last decade, which has created a tremendous amount of liquidity for financial players and has put a lot of, of, of leverage into, uh, again, strictly the financial markets without a spillover really into, into the larger economy. Now, with fiscal policy playing a bigger role and, and, and money being generated uh, and handed out, this is, this is really where it's become highly inflationary because $1,000 in my pocket, your pocket, and everyone else's pocket times 300 billion, all of a sudden is real money. It's trillions of dollars that are circulating and you have new problems. If you go to the bank, the bank would say, we don't want your money. We don't want your money because we don't have any loans on the other side of the equation. We have too much money in Joe and Susie Lunchbox's left pocket. And we we can't take it in deposits because we have no place to take it. We we, we have no place to actually lend it out anymore. So we're seeing weirdness occur now in the financial markets because of fiscal policy and and a major ramp up in inflation, uh, again, showing up in the economy, of course. Um, but it's having ramifications now it's sort of a, it's, think of it as a negative cycle now impacting the financial markets and the banking sector as well.
1: So how do you see this playing out, David? I mean, the, the, the feds, uh, the, there's, there's taper talk. We're going to slow the rate of currency creation. Um, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the numbers, I, I don't know, if, but personally, if I, if I necessarily believe that, I think it might be more talk than it is actually action. And Powell recently said, uh, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, Fed Chair, said that uh, you know if you need more liquidity, it's not going to be a problem. So there's there's a lot of mixed messages coming from from the Fed, at least from my perspective. Where do you see Fed policy going, moving ahead?
2: They're really in a tough spot because they are a contributor to inflation, and they are also a contributor to rank speculation in every asset class. And that, that mm-hmm. asset class vulnerability is really what's at stake. You know, the taper talk, if they pull it off and they start shrinking the amount of liquidity that's in the financial system, well, there's really no surprise. If you put more money and in liquidity into the financial system, up goes the balloon in, term, in terms of scale and size. And you take away that liquidity and down goes the balloon in terms of scale and size. So you have to be willing to see significantly lower prices in the S&P, in the Dow, in the NASDAQ, if you're going to actually follow through and taper. My guess is that they talk about it. And then when they encounter some volatility in the stock markets, they walk that back and they don't actually Go through with raising rates to a very large degree, twenty-five basis points, maybe. You know, the, the commentary that we got this week from Mr. Powell was essentially nothing's going to change, not a lot of a shift in in, in, in policy expectations. Uh, he, he has to be very careful in here because he's also trying to get re-nominated. He's got, his job's on the line. I mean, if, if he's going to stay in his in his cush office, you know, he's, he's got to make sure that he doesn't make anyone angry. And there's no no way to make a politician angrier than by creating unnecessary volatility in the stock market, because then people start to question, well, is the economy really okay? If the Dow's going down, how can the U.S. economy be okay? And, and so people use the stock market as a litmus. It's, a, it's an evidence, it's a telltale for how the economy is doing. They're actually two separate things, but that doesn't keep people from Viewing it and using it as a litmus, and certainly there's there's political pressure that's birthed out of out of uh, downside volatility in the stock market. So Powell's in a tough spot. Uh, there is inflation; it's growing. They need to cut back. They should have cut back a long time. There are implications to cutting back. You you could create the next you know serious 20, 30, 40 percent drop in the stock market with with actual follow through taper. They know that. So they talk one way, and as you said, uh, they might end up doing something else.
1: Well, if you're just joining us, we're chatting today with Mr. David McIlvaney. David is the president of McIlvaney Financial. I would encourage you to check out his commentary at weeklycommentary.com. It is free. And, uh, David, you know, we talked about the U.S. economy. How would you rate the health of the U.S. economy?
2: u s economy is not in a terrible place i mean you 've got some indicators that are that are that are actually quite positive um, I, I think what i don 't like is is that over the last eighteen to twenty four months we 've seen sort of a transformation of the u s economy from being job centric is so really small and mid sized businesses to now seeing much more market share taken up by large corporations. And I don't like the interplay between large corporations and government. I think there's, there's some issues that we have to deal with there from a, from a social and political standpoint. Uh, but we're also losing some of the dynamism and, and some of the creativity that comes from entrepreneurship. You know, a, a lot of businesses had to shut down. In the context of the COVID shutdown, and and they don't have the liquidity just to jumpstart things again. So I think some of that dynamism is gone. And where we see jobs being replaced, you know, you're, you're kind of going back to the the, the the country store. You owe your soul to the com- company store, so to say, as, as as the old song went. And I, I I'm not as excited about that. You, we look at the housing starts; they they increased more than expected. Um, that's out this week, and you know you've got permits, which also were, were 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 higher than expected. Housing is 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 an area of great strength, and uh, so there are some positive aspects in in the overall economy. But I I think I think you also have a lot of people who are hurting, and you know you you look at the jobs numbers today. Uh, unemployment's not bad um, if if you're a, a white male or female. Unemployment's not that great. We're back up to 8.8 percent if if you're in the African American community, and that was an area where we saw tremendous improvement during the last administration, and I don't think we're gaining the same traction back this time around. So, you know, as we've seen some economic recovery, it's not equally dispersed, and and, and I think that's problematic.
1: Well, David, we have just enough time left in this segment for you to talk about Vaulted, and I'd love to introduce that to the listeners.
2: You know, Vaulted is a program we put together a year or so ago, and it brings gold ownership into the 21st century. On a smartphone or on your computer, you can very inexpensively allocate or save to a gold position and treat it like the equivalent of a bank savings account. You even have something called vault plan where you could put in, again, from any paycheck, five dollars, ten dollars, and you own allocated ounces stored at the Royal Canadian Mint, and you've got this great access point through your phone, incredibly liquid. If you need to treat it like a cash account, you can. Um but we like the Royal Canadian Mint because they've been handling gold up there in Ottawa for the better part of 110 years. And, you know, they've been a, a great partner for us. Um, crown property, uh, very stable, very secure, and um, the only place that we could find actually that, that that works with exclusively conflict-free gold, and 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 that's maybe wasn't an issue 50 years ago, but you, know, you watch m- movies like you know, Blood Diamonds and things like that, and you realize actually that the, the supply sourcing for gold, a lot of it of Africa, you're not dealing with 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 the fair treatment of, of kids, of, of women. Labor issues are really there, and so to be able to deal with conflict-free gold and have a savings product uh, available where you can own gold in any increment. I was thinking of my kids when we put it together. They've always bought silver because they can't afford gold. Now they can buy gold in any increment. So vaulted.com, uh, and and if if you're looking for it in the App Store, the app will be out uh, in about 30 days, and between now and then, vaulted.com, that's the platform that we've used uh, for the last year and a half, met with wild success.
1: Well, terrific. Well, I'm chatting today with Mr. David McIlvaney. He is the president of McIlvaney Financial. I would encourage you to check out his weekly commentary at weeklycommentary.com. I'll continue my conversation with David when RLA Radio returns. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You're listening to RLA Radio. My, my guest on today's program is Mr. David McIlvaney. He is the president of McIlvaney Financial. And I would encourage you to check out his weekly commentary at weeklycommentary.com or McIlvaneyweeklycommentary.com. And, David, you know, there was a, a news story that, that, that really struck me a couple weeks ago that the country of El Salvador, El Salvador rather, they have a, a young charismatic president, and uh, he has decided now, and the country of El Salvador has decided that Bitcoin is legal tender. What did you think about that development?
2: You know, I think certainly there's a wider adoption of Bitcoin cryptocurrencies, and and that's a trend that will continue to play out. I think from a from kind of a high level perspective, the cryptocurrencies are something that the private sector has innovated, and governments are very quickly figuring out that they need to either regulate or completely control. And you know, as, as we've read some of the the the, the, the Thought influencers uh, back in policy circles back in D.C., that certainly has been the trend. Look, let's let these guys create something new and different. And and if we have to, we'll regulate it. If it really takes off, then we'll just take it over. And and I think to some degree, it's it's an indication of where the cryptocurrencies are going in terms of regulation and control and not actually – uh, you know the original vision of the cryptocurrencies, which was sort of a, a you know a wild west of of uh, individualism and free expression, um, where you can go and do what you want to do without necessarily anyone uh, saying anything about it. So some of some of that wild west is is going to go away. I think the sheriffs in town, uh, certainly in the U.S., Gensler wants to bring regulation to cryptocurrencies through the SEC. And So I would look at El Salvador not not as necessarily an example of progress, um, but as a move towards where cryptocurrencies might have gone inevitably if they scale to a certain point. No government wants to lose the franchise on creating their own money, so they might have to actually take over this new innovative product.
1: Well, David, I think I know how you're going to answer this next question, but there are those out there that say – cryptocurrencies are the new gold what would David McIlvaney say to that opinion
2: you know I think this week serves up a great example you know we had significant uh, concerns in China in the Chinese credit markets you had one particular property developer 300 billion Uh, they they have 300 billion dollars in debt That's a lot of money for one company. Um, and, and, and they're crumbling. There's contagion anxiety, and that's spreading throughout the financial markets on a global basis. And so you know, you look at Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, and, and there's anxiety. And then finally, uh, some policy response in China and, and restructuring for this company. But it was very interesting watching what the cryptos did. The cryptos were crumbling. And and a part of that is because if you've got major financial issues in China, you've got major players within the crypto space in China. And and so you don't have the safe haven bid. Meanwhile, gold rallies sharply. If you're talking about real stress and strain, you've got the contrast between the unknown versus the known. The safe haven, which has been for 5,000 years, versus the potential upstart which has been around for less than 15 years. Now, we don't have enough time or experience uh, of, of various pressures that can be brought to the financial markets to know exactly how the cryptocurrencies, or Bitcoin in particular, would, um, would behave. But we do have that data on gold. And so for my part, for real money, um, I'm going to put my real money in gold and my lunch money in cryptos. And the real money is because I care about preserving wealth for the next generation. And I'm I'm going to go on the basis of the larger data set.
1: David, uh, you know, when you take a look at what metals prices have done, um, as inflation has really kind of kicked up a notch, we've seen metal prices pull back. How would you explain that?
2: Well, I think a part of it is we have a tremendous amount of, of derivatives As uh, the retail person has come into not only the financial markets, but also the commodity markets. They they like to trade. They're not investors. So they're in today. They're out tomorrow. And it's on the basis of any small data point. And, you know, a, any asset class can be jerked around and pushed around on that basis. I mean, just to illustrate, we've got two trillion dollars in S&P 500 options that, that traded on Friday, $2 trillion worth of call options. Think about that. I mean, th- th- those are numbers that have never been registered in the history of the equities markets, right? And, and, and that's, a, that's a sign of not only tremendous speculation, but also retail investor involvement. Now, good news comes out or bad news comes out. That's a tremendous amount of pressure that comes into uh, either upward pressure or downward pressure. On the S and P 500. Now you've got all these knee-jerk responses that occur within the commodity space as well, and I, and I think you see the same play. If the dollar's up, gold is down. If 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 the dollar's down, gold is up. It, and and the amount of leverage that is in the markets today makes for very short-term volatility, um, a very high volatility in the short run, and and I think to some degree disappointment with the way gold or silver has has behaved. I think, as you back away from the short term trades and you see how gold has trended um, it's done just fine. it's done just fine we're're we're in the seventeen hundreds uh, it wasn't that many years ago that we were in the thirteen and fourteen hundreds and uh, i think I think what investors want is higher drama, and some of their expectations are set by the kinds of eye-popping returns that we've seen in things like the meme stocks, AMC and GameStop, and of course, some of the short-term returns that we've seen in cryptocurrencies as well. And you say, well, gold's not doing much. I actually had this conversation with a client the other day, and he said, you know, I'm thinking about selling all my gold. It hasn't moved at all since I I bought it, Uh, but my cryptocurrencies have really gone up. I said, well, I can't argue. Your cryptocurrencies are up significantly. I said, but you know, in a two-year period for you to be up 35% uh, on your gold position, is that a poor return? I mean, under any normal circumstances, it's performed quite well. Now, your expectations have been so recalibrated. By the eye-popping returns, given the speculative environment we're in, maybe you have an unreasonable expectation of the performance of gold and silver. And and so that's the way the conversation went. Needless to say, he kept his his gold and silver. He actually had not realized it had gone up in price. (laughs) He just had this impression that gold and silver really hadn't gone anywhere. I think we're going to see reasonably high rates of return in the gold and silver markets. And a lot of that is because you you have folks in the financial markets today who would say, look, the Fed said inflation is transitory, therefore it's transitory. Except, Dennis, guess what? You and I know it, and the average man on the street knows it. No, it's not transitory. It's been here longer than they already expected, and and it's going to be here longer than they think it will be. There's going to have to be a recalibration for gold and silver. And I think it will reflect the amount of liquidity that's been pumped into the system. And it will, in retrospect, look like one of those generational repricings. We saw it in the 1970s from $35 an ounce up to $875 an ounce on an intraday trade basis. And I think we ultimately see the same thing. This generation's repricing will have been from 300 up to about 5,000. And so I think we're a good, you know, 40% 40% of the way through that. Uh, we've gone from 300 uh, 20 years ago to 17, 1800, 2000 uh, here recently, and ultimately we, we price and peak uh, closer to the 5,000 range. How that translates for silver um, you know, is, is anyone's guess, um, but just looking at historic ratios, that could put you at $160 to $200 silver and off of a current price of $20. Again, it, it may not be a cryptocurrency, but I'd rather have physical metals in my hot little hand.
1: So when you start throwing out numbers, David, like uh, five thousand dollar gold and you know two hundred dollar silver, um, you know that, that's almost tenfold on silver from where it is today. Um, what do you see that? How do you see that playing out as far as timing is concerned? Is that is that going to Go parabolic, kind of like stocks have, or do you think it's going to be more uh, methodical in the way that it it advances?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. Um, it's never wise to to put time and price in the same equation. <laughs>
1: we, can,
2: we can know one. I don't know that we can know both. Um, but I think ultimately, when you look at gold, it is an emotional asset, and. And, and it moves in many respects like oil does. We saw you know, oil prices move significantly higher when we had our first introduction to uh, Afghanistan with, with, the, with the Russians invading Afghanistan in 79. Gold went parabolic, oil was, was moving higher, and they're very dramatic moves on the basis of emotion. Today, no one cares about gold. Why? Well, who should care about gold with stocks putting in all-time highs? There's no reason for concern, and there's no reason for insurance. You begin to see the emotion in the precious metal space when people do have reason for concern—not just in terms of the economy, but the financial markets. You know, if, if the Dow's 30, or 40, or 50 percent lower than current levels, along with the S&P and Nasdaq, you begin to see an investor class say, "Wait a minute, what is going on here?" How do I protect myself? We've got high inflation rates. The stock market isn't helping us at all. Maybe or maybe not. Cryptocurrencies are are having a positive day in the sun. We we don't know. But we do know that the the behavior of investors, when put under pressure and when equities are underperforming, they gravitate towards gold. Silver It doesn't take much of a spillover from the gold market for silver to behave positively as well. And and so that's where I think, We need to see an emotional shift in equities to see the real drama in gold. And that could be sooner than we think.
1: Yeah, I certainly agree. Uh, Last question, David. We have time for one more question. Would I be uh, making a correct assumption if I said based on the numbers you just threw out there that you're more of a fan of silver or gold at the present time as far as appreciation potential is concerned?
2: Yeah, I think from a total net worth perspective, you have to keep in balance risk and reward and and know that silver has some economic vulnerabilities that gold doesn't have. So as a reserve asset... Gold is sort of the guaranteed winner under deflationary or inflationary circumstances. And silver is not a guaranteed winner. It has that economic vulnerability, the same as platinum, platinum group metals, because of its use in, in in industrial uses. So if you begin to... Uh, play out financial market circumstances, if it's only financial market circumstances and inflation we're talking about, silver outperforms. If we begin to see an economy grind to a halt and there's some stagflation, it may be that gold outperforms for a considerable period of time and ultimately silver plays catch up, but your silver holder, your silver investor, may for a long time wonder why it's underperforming. Why, why, why? And, and, and I think ultimately it will play catch up, but it'll be interesting to see if, if people can sit on their hands and do nothing as, as gold and silver don't perform at the same time, same pace. Um, yeah, I like silver. I think, I think if you look at this gold-silver ratio pressing 80 to 1 today, uh, the numbers are on your side. You know, you, you, you basically from here to 40 to 1 on the ratio can double your ounces of gold. Compounding ounces is what we do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's what we do as a company. We've been in the metals business for 50 years. And one of the ways that we distinguish ourselves from a competition is being able to navigate bull and bear markets with a hard asset portfolio and using some of those ratios and premium trades are really effective in terms of gaining an advantage. So I I still have to take an agnostic view and say, look, the ratio is 79, 80 to one, roughly today. You should be heavier weighted to silver than gold, but I would not neglect gold, and I would not do an exclusive positioning in silver, because again, there there's circumstances that can mitigate against silver's performance.
1: Well, my guest today has been Mr. David McIlvaney. Uh, the website is weeklycommentary.com. David, thank you for your time today. We uh, always enjoy our conversations. I know the listeners do as well, and I'd love to have you back down the road.
2: Look forward to it. Yeah, at weeklycommentary.com, you can subscribe for free. We'll send it out to you weekly. And vaulted.com is where you can kind of get to know one of our many service offerings, but a great savings tool, phenomenal savings tool in a period of, of dollar and currency devaluation.
1: Well, I would encourage the listeners to check them out, and we will return after these words.
0: I'm Dennis Tubergen. This is Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. Glad you're listening in today, and thank you to my special guest on today's program, Mr. David McIlvaney, for joining us and sharing his perspective. You know, doing retirement planning the way you maybe would have done traditionally may cause you to fail in reaching your retirement goals. Stocks are extremely overvalued. Debt levels, as I talked about in the first segment of today's program, are at record highs, and interest rates are artificially low. To that end, on today's program, I'm offering anybody who would like to get it a copy of my most recent book, Retirement Roadmap. The subtitle to the book is How Many Aspiring Retirees Can Use the Revenue Sourcing Process to Achieve a Secure, Tax-Free Retirement in Today's Economy. To get a copy of the book, all you need to do is go to the website RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. Let us know where to mail you the book, and we'll be glad to do that. You know, there's a lot of talk about are we headed for another recession? Are we in a recession? Uh, There certainly has been a bounce back in growth in the economy, but that is now rapidly slowing. Now, a recession, if you are to define it, is two or more consecutive quarters of declines in gross domestic product. Now, a depression is not as clearly defined, but it's understood to be a prolonged period of growth that is either below the long-term trend or below potential growth. Now, during depressions, you can have recessions. Jim Rickards, who's a past guest here on the program, talked about this in an article that he published this past week. He said, technical recessions can occur during depressions. There were two technical recessions during the Great Depression. The Depression lasted from 1929 to 1940, and the two technical recessions during the Depression lasted from 1929 to 1933, and then again in 1937 and 1938. But the entire period from 1929 to 1940 was characterized by below-trend growth high unemployment, and deflation. And keep in mind, as we talked about in the first segment today, deflation happens when there's too much debt to be paid. Stock markets and commercial real estate prices did not recover their 1929 highs until 1954, a full 25 years later. Now, records contends we are in a depression now. I'll give you a bit from his article, and I'm quoting, We are in a new depression now. Growth declined in 2008. The 2009 to 2019 recovery averaged annual growth of about 2.2%, well below the long-term trend of 3.5% to 4.5%. GDP declined again by 3.4% in 2020, the steepest one-year decline since 1946. Annualized growth for the first half of 2021 is 6.4% but that is slowing quickly. The latest estimate for the third quarter of 2021 is annualized gross of growth rather of 3.7%. The December 2019 level of output was not recovered until July of 2021. Interest rates have been declining sharply. That's a sign of disinflationary expectations. Put another way, deflationary expectations and may be an early warning of a new recession in 2022. This is characteristic of a new Great Depression that can last for many years, Rickards writes. Once the inflation narrative fades and the disinflation narrative comes to force, we can expect a stock market correction as asset prices adjust to the return of an era of slow growth. Perhaps we saw the beginning of that correction this past week. You know, as I read that by Jim Rickards, I was reminded, as I mentioned in the first segment, of what Thomas Jefferson told us. He said, if we ever allow private bankers to control the issue of our currency, we will experience inflation followed by deflation. Rickards writes, once the inflation narrative fades and the disinflation narrative comes to the fore, that's when we'll see the correction. Now, there's also a study about economic recoveries after pandemics. And I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco uh, partnered with outside academics and 19 of the highest fatality pandemic since the Black Death pandemic in the mid-1300s found that it took 30 years for interest rates, growth, and employment to return to normal on average. We're living in a world that has changed. And I'd like to invite you to get a copy of the Retirement Roadmap book to help you plan. The book was a number one Amazon bestseller when it was released uh, this summer. And I would be happy to send you a copy of the book. All you need to do is go to the website, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. The website, again, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com. If you give me your name and let me know where to mail you a copy of the book, I'd be very glad to do that without any further cost, any further obligation. Uh, And I think the book will give you a perspective that I think you'll find helpful to planning in today's economy. So again, RoadmapToRetirementBook.com to request your copy of the book. That's the program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. Have a great week.